If you're up on Facebook this morning, you have an idea of where we are going. If you are not up on Facebook this morning, you have no idea where we are going, and that's your fault. Every once in a while, we try and put something up there, and it was up there this morning. But there was an article in Children's Ministry Magazine that talked about the right way to eat a chocolate Easter bunny. They did a survey of children and asked them, what is the proper way to eat a chocolate Easter bunny? Where do you start? 74% of the children asked said the ears. 74% of the people, the kids were asked, said we started the ears. So this particular person who was reading the article decided to go up to their child and ask them, where do you start, just to test out the theory, just test out what was the, the survey, where do you start eating a chocolate Easter bunny? And she said, well, that's simple, the mouth. And she said, well, that's kind of specific. Why is it that you start at the mouth? He says, because then it can't scream when you eat the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. 74% of children, and this one had one that was not in that 74%. <laughs> Sometimes we think, though, that the right way to do something is to ask a bunch of people and find out. How many times do we find news stories that are based upon polls? Well, a poll was taken, and 60%, 80%, 75% of the people polled, surveyed, said this course once you find out how they asked the question it can kind of taint the results a little bit we don't always publicize that part but really what you think about a matter has no bearing on it i mean think about it if you think the earth is flat is it if you think the sun is not that hot does that make the sun not that hot if you think there are no other planets in this entire galaxy, solar system, universe, that are not inhabited, does that make it so? No. It does not. Not at all. My wife is telling me about some of the things that are on Facebook. She has different people on her Facebook page than I do. I, I, I have very few people on my Facebook page. It's somewhere around 100 or something like that because I just don't like all the stuff that people put up there. Um. And she was bearing in mind some of these things that, that were coming about. Apparently, people, a lot of people have the opinion. You probably have heard it. Well, I don't think God will. You ever heard that? I don't think God would do this. I don't really care what you think. If God said he's going to do it, he's going to do it. If God said he won't do it, he won't do it. Regardless of whether you think so or not. So the idea is not for us to poll people and find out what they think on the matter. I, what we need to do is find out what the Word says. Because what the Word says is what we need to do. Our goal in life is to find out what the Word says and line up our beliefs with it. Too often, folks, we believe something because we think it ought to be that way. We like it to be that way. We want it to be that way. But if God didn't say it was that way, it isn't going to be. You need to find out what he said. What does he say on the matter? Now, we've been going over this series on pride. And one of the things we did uh, along the lines here is that we have spent some time on some of the signs 
that you are in pride. If you were to just stop and think about it, would you be able to pull out some of the signs that you're in pride? Well, it's not in your outline, but it is in mine. I wrote down some of them. And you can probably add some more. There's probably more to it than than this, but I wrote down a few of them. One of the signs that you are in pride is that you are resistant to correction. If someone were to correct you, if someone were to show you in the Word, if someone were to show you that the thing is so this way and show proof, you are resistant to being corrected. That's a sign. You come out of a situation thinking about how it affected you or how you were put down in some way. Any situation, if you come out of that situation thinking about, well, how that affected you or how you were put down, you are in pride. That's a sign of pride. Get rid of it. Now, just take it as a warning sign and fix it. If you think about how often you were or are right. Have you ever thought back on some situations that went on? And you keep, I was right. I was right. I sh- they shouldn't have done that. I was right. Yeah, you're probably in pride. If you become mindful of what others have done to you, you're probably in pride. If you become mindful of what others have not done for you. If you go around thinking about what others have done to you, what others have not done for you, you're in pride. Just admit it. Get out of it. If you become offended, ever, if you ever become offended, you are in pride. You tell me one situation where you can become offended and not be in pride. Now, don't raise your hand. Raise your inside hand. How many people have ever been offended? I'll raise my hand because I have. (laughs) Guess what? When that happened, you were in pride. I don't care if you were right. If you were offended, you were in pride. You tell me one situation, one scenario in which you can become offended and not be in pride. And I'm not talking about standing up for the things of the Word of God and getting mad for God's part. I'm talking about offended where you got hurt. You got your feelings hurt. You got yourself mad with something. It is impossible to become offended on something for yourself and not be affected by pride. What does the Word of God say about love? It does not take offense. Pride will pull you out of love. If love does not take offense, can you take offense and not be in pride? You're not going to like this one. If you liked any other ones, but you're not going to like this one. You are in pride if you ever lost your temper. Now, you think of a scenario in which you can lose your temper and not be thinking about yourself. How you're in a hurry, how you've been hurt, how you've been wronged. Is it possible to lose your temper and not be offended or not be in pride? Does God lose his temper? No, God gets angry at some things. We're not talking about just being angry. We're talking about losing your temper. And you go flying off. Well, I just have a short fuse. No, you're in pride. Hello, call it what it is. If you don't call out the problem, you're not going to fix it. If you don't find the source, should we keep going? You are in pride if you ever become impatient. Right? 
If you become impatient, what are you thinking? I'm being inconvenienced. I'm being slowed down. What I'm doing is more important than what you are doing. Do you know what they're doing? No, because you're not asking. Right? Love is patient. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. If you're going to stay in love, you're going to not going to be impatient. Here's one. Most everyone else is wrong. Now, there are other people are wrong. There are people that are wrong. And you can realize it. But if you talk to somebody and just about every person they talk about is wrong, guess what? They're in pride. There are people out there and there are people out there that are wrong. And you can acknowledge it without being in pride. But if everyone, most of the people that you run into are wrong, the problem may not be with them. If you enjoy pointing out shortcomings instead of covering a multitude of sins, you are likely in pride. Have you ever talked with people and they're always telling you where other people will come up short? Where other people have missed it? Where other people aren't quite walking the way that they should? And they seem to enjoy it? Love covers a multitude of sins. Love is out to help people get back with God. It doesn't want to expose. It's not trying to embarrass. It's not what love is. All right, just a few more. Few are as good as you. Remember Elijah? Comes out of the cave. Elijah, what are you doing here? I've been very zealous for the Lord. There's no one out there is doing as much as for you as me. You're lucky to have me on your team. You're lucky I put up with all this stuff. But I'm still here. I'm still going on. Yeah, there's few as good as you. What does God say? I got 7,000 people waiting to take your spot. In fact, you know what? Go out there and anoint the next one. He's going to take your spot. Now, this one you may not understand right away, but it's true anyway. Become depressed or fall into despair. What does that have to do with pride? What was Elijah's problem? Elijah got big on himself. Thought himself bigger than the mission of God. Kept going over in his mind. I have been very zealous for the Lord. Kept going over that over and over and over. And when we've come to this part of the story with Elijah, it says he despaired of his life. He's ready to go home. He's done. Pride will have the effect of pulling you into despair. Get you in a place of depression. Because you can't change things. You can't bring about what you think God has called you to. The world seems impossible. It's brought on by pride. You need to find out what it is so that you can get rid of it. Things should be better for me because of how hard I work. Never thought that? That's yeah. a pride matter. Get rid of the pride. Now, here's one. We talked about this. We spent at least one, probably two weeks on this one. So you probably remember this one. But understand, this is a symptom of pride. A symptom of pride. Here it is. Last one. If you see anything as impossible. If you see anything at all as impossible, it is a symptom of pride. Because what does the Word of God say about impossible things? Almost everything is possible to those who believe. 
Is that what it said? Most things are possible to him who believes. What's it say? All things are possible to him who believes. So there's no question about how many things. The only question is about who believes. If you ever say, think or believe a thing to be impossible, then you believe that your situation is above the word of God. Is that not a symptom of pride? If you let that sneak in, depression, despair, anger, impatience, all these things can become ushered into your life simply because you allow pride to come in. There's a warning sign going off and you're not listening to it. And pride is getting in and it's messing with you. All right, enough of those. There's more. You can go on through. We, we, we spent a lot of weeks on that. You can go over and look at a lot of different things. But if you remember when we started this off, we were back in Second Chronicles chapter 15. And in Second Chronicles chapter 15, I didn't pull this into my outline. Can you pull it up on the screen? I think we want to read the whole thing. Let's just read the, the whole thing. I was more focusing on the, the end part here, but let's go over this whole thing. Now, the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Odeb, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. But when in their, time, or in their, in their trouble they turned to the Lord, God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. And in those times there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in, but great turmoil was on the inhabitants of the lands. So nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every adversity. But you be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words in the prophecy of Oded, the prophet, he took courage. And removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. And he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the, of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those who dwelt with them from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon. For they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa. They offered to the Lord at that time 700 bulls, 7,000 sheep from the spoil they had brought. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart, with all their soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or women. Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting, trumpets, and ram's horns. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart, sought him with all their soul, and he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. And he removed Makkah, the mother of Asa the king, from being queen mother, because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. And Asa cut down her obscene image, then crushed and burned it by the book Kidron. But the high places were not removed from Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. Now, it says that his heart was loyal all his days, but then we also saw that in the latter years of King Asa, that because he had sought after help from another king instead of God, that God was angry with him. 
And he didn't feel that God should have been angry with him. Then he took the prophet who brought the word and he put him in jail and he oppressed some of the people at the time. A disease came on him and he died of this disease of his feet. And then the word of God tells us that in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought the physicians. But yet here we have the verse, nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. Now, how many of you, we read that and we look at this and say, how is it that he was loyal in the last couple of years? Because he wasn't, he imprisoned the prophet. He oppressed some of the people. He died of disease, didn't seek after the Lord. How is it that he could be loyal all his days? So that was our question that we started this whole thing off with. And we've been off in other areas for the purpose of building the case. Here's the problem we run into. The Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible does not tell us why God views Asa in this way. Even though the Bible tells us things he did that would seem to indicate to us he was not loyal. But how many of you would like to have an answer? <laughs> All right, Corey. There we go. I know he wanted one. I don't know about anybody else, but he's been asking me a few times. Are we getting there? Are we getting there? He kept it in mind. That's good. See, sometimes I didn't have the answer when we started this series off. I was wondering myself. How, how is that possible? I look at that and say, how is it possible? But how many know, whatever is in the Word of God is for us to know. It's for us to know. We've got to stop looking at what's in the Word as being impossible to understand. No, it's, it's possible. We can know it. If we are going to know something in the Word of God that the Word of God does not actually state, then what we have to do is take a poll. Right? 74% of all people think that Asa... No, that's not how you do it, is it? We don't take a poll. How about if we just surmise? Would that work? No, that's not going to be it either. The only way to get an answer from Scripture on a matter like this is to go to Scripture. It's the only way to do it. It's the only authority we have. So... I happen to find a verse of Scripture here in 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 11. I want to read to you. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father David. How many remember algebra? How many liked algebra? All right, we're, get, we're going to dip back into algebra for just a brief moment of time. Just a brief moment of time. This is a practical application of algebra. In algebra... If A equals B, then B equals A. Right? That's easy. If A equals B and B equals C, then C equals A. See, you all know. You know algebra. So what we're going to here is if Asa sought after the Lord in the same or was his ways were right in the eyes of the Lord, in the same way that his father David's were, then if we understand the ways of David and why his ways were right in front of the Lord, we can understand Asa and why his ways were right in front of the Lord, right? Because this is the comparison. The Word of God makes this comparison. I'm not making the comparison. The Bible did. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as did his father David. So Asa equals David in this, in this uh, situation. 
First Kings chapter 15, verse 4 and 5, going a little bit earlier. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord, his, his God, gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by setting up his son after him and by establishing Jerusalem, because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Now, I think this is a little bit interesting in this. David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, except for the matter of Uriah the Hittite. When you think of David's sin, whom do you think of? Bathsheba. Right? Don't we always think of Bathsheba? David and Bathsheba. We don't think about David and Uzziah, or uh, the, the husband, we don't think about that. But wasn't he involved? Surely was. He got murdered over it. He got killed for it. So except for the matter of Uriah the Hittite. But even if we take the whole thing together, Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite, it says that David sought after the Lord. His, his uh, ways were right in front of the Lord. All his days... Except for the matter of Uriah the Hittite. So here's a question for you. Were David's ways always right? Were his ways always right? Can you think of any other time beside the matter of Uriah and Bathsheba? If we put them all together in the same, same thing there. Can you think of any other time that David missed it? I can. So this is what we use as a comparison. If Asa equals David in this matter, and Asa is said to have his ways right all his days, and David is said to have his ways right all his days except for this matter, then what we need to do, because we have a lot more detail on David than we do Asa, what we need to do is go back into the Bible and find some times when David missed it that are not listed here. Wouldn't that help us? If God didn't list them, there ought to be a reason. There ought to be a reason why Uzziah is listed. There's even a reason why Uzziah is listed here, not Bathsheba. I don't know if we'll get into that. If we don't, you all can figure it out. I'm sure you've got the Spirit of God in you, right? All right, first off, we're going to go over to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel, the 6th chapter, in verse 1. And again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David rose and went with all the people who were with him from, from uh, Baal, Judah, to bring up from, from there the ark of God, whose name is called the, by the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. And they set, so they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. We are bringing the ark of God into Jerusalem because in the chapter before this, that would be 2 Samuel chapter 5, David conquers Jerusalem. He takes it from the Philistines. He takes it from the people who inhabited the place. He takes the land of the, Philist, uh, the, uh, the city of Judah. Judah is called the city of... Or David's, the, the David city, and Bethlehem is, is in there too. But this is, this is the city that David took. It becomes the capital of, of uh, Judah and Jerusalem, or Ju Judah and Israel. Eventually just Judah, but right now it's going to be the capital of all Israel. And Jerusalem has a lot of history. In the book of Genesis, it's, uh, it comes up as Salem. 
But we see it quite a bit in there, and God's hand was upon this city. And David took it, and now that he took it, he wants to bring the ark of God to Jerusalem. He wants Jerusalem to be set up where his house is. He wants Jerusalem to be set up where the house of God is. He wants everything to come out of Jerusalem. So he's got a good desire here. We just take the ark of the covenant, and let's bring it over here. They brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And the heel went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord and all kinds of instruments, of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, on cymbals. So what we got here is uh, we got this situation. We are bringing the ark of God out from where it is to where we want it to be. How many times did the, Israel, did the Israelites do this in the wilderness? How many times did they transport the uh, ark. Every time they moved, they transported the ark of God. Remember when they stepped into the uh, Jericho or the uh, the river? There was a uh, by there by, by Jericho. When they stepped into the river, what did the river do? It began to part, and it, it split apart just like the Red Sea did. But well, who was who was the first one to put their foot in the water? If you remember over in the Red Sea when they crossed the Red Sea. They come across the Red Sea, and the, God parts the water, and they just walk on through on dry ground. But they come to the second time, the second crossing. When they come to that one, the water is where it is. Until the priests who are carrying the ark step into the river. When they stepped into the river, the river parted, but not until they stepped in. There was a difference, because there was supposed to be growth between the Israelites. Just because something worked for you years ago, folks, doesn't mean it's going to keep going working or that it's God's way to do it. But too often we get buried in those things. That's the way I did it. I did it before and it worked. Don't matter. It does not make any difference. Well, it says here that, uh, verse 3, So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab. Is that how they were supposed to bring the ark? Ark of God was never carried on carts, whether new, old, didn't matter. You are not to carry the ark of God in a, in a cart. How was the ark of God carried? On poles. They had little uh, holes there that were made to hold the poles, and they put the poles in, and then the priest would pick up the, the ark, and they would carry it. And David veered off of this. Was it a good thing to do? Was not a good thing to do. What should David have done? He had a number of ways to take, on, take this on. First off, he could have just gone to the Word of God and said, how do we move the ark? And the Word of God would have said, this is how you move it. On poles. These are the folks that are carrying it. This is how you do it. He could have gone to the high priest and say, I want to move the, the ark of God. How do we move it? The high priest could have told him. He could have gone to God and said, God, I want to move the ark from here to there. How should I do it? God would have referred him to the place in the Bible or told him, this is how you do it. But David didn't do it. Where did he get the idea of a new cart? Had to get it from somewhere, right? Did he just dream it up? Think back to the days of Saul. In the days of Saul, Saul decides to use the ark of God as a good luck charm and he brings it into battle, even though God said it's not going to work, and they lose the battle. And the ark of God is captured by the Philistines. The ark, and the people in the Philistines, they don't know what to do with this thing. So they take it and they put it in the front uh, where their temple is. And when they get up the next morning, they find out that their god, their fish god, is broken 
and bowing down to the ark. That'll get you. That'll mess with your head. Your God just bowed down to this God you just brought in. And they didn't like that. And bad things were happening. And it wasn't good. And so they decided we need to get rid of this thing. So what should we do to get rid of it? And so they said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put it on a cart. And we're going to put some oxen on the cart. And if the oxen take the ark of God to the right place, we know it was God. If they just wander around, go someplace else, then it wasn't God. And the oxen, they took the, uh, the cart and the ark and they went right back to Israel. And they brought the cart back and they, they knew it was God. So David has this on his mind. And he mimics what the Philistines did to bring the ark of God into Jerusalem. Folks, we have mimicked what the world does way too often when we try and access God. We haven't gone after His Word. We need to not do that. We need to go after the things of, that God is, is saying to do. And do what, do what He has, has said. Pride has worked its way into us because pride is in the world. And we look at the world way too often. Attitudes of the world and God have infiltrated the church. The only thing that pulls it out, folks, is the Word of God. It is the only thing that pulls it out. It is the Word of God. What does the Word say on a matter? You need to find out. You see, the Word of God tells us to speak to situations, but the world doesn't like that, does it? The world does not... What do you mean speak to a situation? They don't... How many of you feel funny if you're at work and something comes up, sickness in your body, something, and you just, I just need to speak to that, and you just spoke to it right there. How many of you would feel funny at work? Why? Because the world thinks, what, you guys are nuts. Speaking to a situation? If you tell people about a situation that you are looking to change, and you've got the Word of God on it, and you're looking for that situation to change, and you tell people, this is how it's going to be. It's not that way. Why are you calling it like that? The Word of God says to call those things that be not as though they might be, right? Maybe it might happen. No, as if they were. The Word of God tells us in Mark chapter 11, we go over how many times? How many times do we go over? Whatsoever things you pray, where you stand praying, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. We've gone over how many times? When you pray that you receive something, believe that you receive it. And yet, how many times, and I'm not talking about the Word, I'm talking about the church. Maybe even you. How many times have you prayed to God for something, asked God for something that you had in the Word of God you could ask for, and the next day, I sure hope I get that. I sure hope I, that that comes true. I sure hope. Believe that you what? Believe that you have, have received it. Isn't that what the Word of God says? What's the, word, what's the world say about prayer? Keep on praying. Maybe eventually God will move. Maybe eventually God will come down and you'll get the thing that you want. Just keep on praying. Maybe one day God will look on you favorably and you'll get the thing that you want. Just keep on praying. Keep on asking. That's what the world says. 
And so we feel very comfortable going up to the world and say, well, I've been praying to receive this thing. That's okay. But you tell the world, I prayed, I received, it's mine. Well, you don't know that. And see, the world infiltrates our thoughts, infiltrates what we do. And you begin to think what's impossible is impossible because the world has brought in. Just like this, this situation, David has very clear in the Word of God what it says to do, but he's not following the Word of God. He's following an example of the Philistines. That's not a good example to follow, is it? How many folks are on Facebook? Anybody on Facebook? Come on, there's more of you than that. All right, a few of you are on Facebook. How many are not on Facebook? Dear Lord, get with the program, will you? What is wrong with you folks? I tell you over and over, Facebook is great. I get, I get videos. I get links. I get for, to, to teaching. I get uh, exhortation in the Word. I, I, get, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get recipes. I don't get people talking about how they're walking their dog and smelling the flowers and stuff like that. I get good stuff. If you get on Facebook, you can get it too. It's good. It's, you can, there's junk up there, I'm sure. I just don't get near it. Rick Renner, beautiful stuff he puts up there. He puts up two, three posts a day. Doug Jones, he's up there three, four, five times a day exhorting us and encouraging us. Get a hold of it. Get in, get in on that thing. Anyway, that's a, that's a hold of it. But my, my daughter put up a post on there. Two times this week she had her, her daughter, my granddaughter, on the potty. <laughs> on the potty. Now, you look at that, you can think of a couple of things. First off, it's not possible to take someone that young and put them on the potty and get them to learn, right? Except that the Word of God said what? What did it say? All things are possible except in dealing with young children. Isn't that right? I'll tell you what, if a, if a single soul of you went up to her and said, you can't do that, I'd probably just smack you. Why in the world do you want to mess with her faith? If she got it in herself to put that baby on the pot, and she already did it twice, she's got success. Don't you take your lack of success and compare it to her success. That's ridiculous. <laughs> well, it's just not going to work. This is not going to work. Stop it. All things are possible to him who believes. Him who believes. But you're not, you're not going to get there praying. I tell you what, folks, there's a whole lot of Christians out there that think they're going to get something from God praying. And they don't have word on it. How many times should you ask God for a thing? How many times should you ask God for to receive something? One time. Smith Wigglesworth. If you ask God seven times for any one thing, you ask six times in unbelief. Great statement. I've never forgotten that. Great statement. Because Jesus taught us that whatever things you ask, believe that you receive. Why are you asking again? Because the world has gotten into how you think. And you are, you are adjusting to the world just like David did here. David adjusted to the world. The Philistines. Of all people. To use as an example. He's got how many examples of people in the Word? 
He's got how many times it is done in the Word. He's got the, the exhortation from the Word. And what does he do? Picks a cart. I don't think the Philistines got a new cart, but they got a cart. He decided, I'm going to upgrade that. We're going to go new. He got a cart. And he put the thing on a cart. And he sent on home. Bringing it to Jerusalem. It's not going to work. It's the world. Understand, folks, we have, we have bought into this way too often. And we are allowing what the world does to affect what we do. What the world thinks with how we think. What the world believes with what we believe. In the area of healing, if you are, are spending any time asking God to receive a healing, you are wasting your time. That's not the first time we've told you that. How many times have I told you that? How many times have we gone over that? I'll guarantee you in the last month, someone here did it. Ask God for a healing. What's the Word of God say? What's the example in the Word of God about healing? Does Jesus ever ask God for a healing? Does Jesus ever ask God to heal anyone? Does Peter? Does Paul? Does John? Do any of them ever ask God to heal anyone? Do they ever pray for anyone to receive healing? What do they always do? Always do. Speak to the sickness, the disease, the problem. Every single time in the Word, that's what they do. So here's what we got. We got Christians, every single time they go to the Word, they see Jesus spoke to the thing. Peter spoke to the thing. What do they do? Oh, God, you know how hard I've worked for you. And if you want me to be sick all the days of my life, I'll still serve you. But if you can find it in your heart to have compassion on me and to heal me from this thing, or just take half of it away. If you're so busy that you can only do part, that's fine. Half of it would be great. I'll give you praise and glory if just half of it goes away. Thank you, Lord. If I can just do this again, I'd be so happy. We try and come to God on merit, what we have done, and what, not what Jesus has done. How do you go to God? Because of what Jesus did. How do you deal with sickness and disease? How do you deal with it? Speak to it. Do you ask God for it? Now, you've got to relate this to however you relate it. I've got to relate it to you the way that I, I learned it, the way that I relate it. You, you do whatever you, you want. But you all know that, you know, I got involved in, in, in running again last year. Started out real easy. My son needed shoes. I went on over there. We talked to him about shoes, and I talked to him about a problem I had. They gave me a, a little heads up on some things, and I tried it out. been running ever since. Good. This year, if you, you know, I've told you a few things about it. Back in January, we had a, a problem that came in with the right leg and uh, uh, was keeping me from, from running. Went to different uh, places to get things worked on, give it some rest. It went, we weren't overcoming. It was still there. Still going on. So long around, uh, if you're up on Facebook, you know, I, I jumped into this challenge. And, I, and they said, uh, you know, run for a streak. We were running for a streak. And I did make the, I don't know if I ever told you, but I did make the streak. I went from Memorial Day to, to the 4th of July, ran every single day. Every single day. 
went beyond it. Went beyond the, the, the streak that they had and kept on going. But some of those days, I mean, it's, it's not, I told you before, it's not a knee problem I have, but the knee is where it's, it's showing up. And some of those days I was running, my knee was swollen. I swollen big. And every time I landed on that knee, it hurt. I mean, it didn't just hurt a little bit. It hurt so that I was limping, visibly limping for the first mile, mile and a half, two miles of the run. I was visibly limping. I was thinking neighbors are going to be, I I go in other neighborhoods. I don't run in my neighborhood as much as I can. I go in other neighborhoods where people don't know me. But I got to be thinking, who is this guy? Why is he hobbling around like this? I mean, it was no, it was pronounced. It's everything I can do. Focus, focus, run, stay with it, keep going. You know what I'm doing the whole time? Oh God, you know I've been faithful. You know I've served you. Oh, if you could just take half of the pain away, it would be so. Much. Is that what I'm doing? No. No. You know what we're doing? <coughs> Need you are strong. You are strong. You are able. To make this run. You are able to do this thing. You are not weak. You are strong. Every time I'm, every time I'm limp, strong, strength, strong. You are strong. Every time I'm stretching, getting ready to go out for the run. You are strong. You are ready to do this. You are able to do it. The whole time. Sometimes it was for three miles out there. I'm still telling tell this thing. You are strong. You are, you are not, not giving in. You are strong. You are able to do it. I'm not just teaching you these things. I have to do them myself. There is not a single time in that that I ever came to God, laid in my bed at nighttime, woke up in the morning, thought about it during the day and says, Dear God, please heal me of this thing. Not a single, not one time I did it. Why? Because I teach you not to do it. What good is it if I go out there and do it? Not a single time. Never asked God for a thing on this thing. I only spoke to the knee, spoke to the situation, spoke to what was going on. Listen to God. Father God, I thank you that you give me wisdom on how to deal with this thing and what it is that I need to do. Every day I'm going out there. Every day I'm running. A couple of days it was tough. A couple of days it hurt the whole way. But kept on going. Kept on going. Kept on going. Now, I'm not out. It's not out of the woods yet. But it still is doing, it's doing a whole lot better. In fact... Around midway through the, the month on this, I got my sight set on a goal in the month of July that I could have the best month I've had in years. And so I set myself on a, on a numbers goal, and it was a stretch. Around the middle of the month, it was a stretch. But I said, I think I can do this. I can pull this off. I just got to do so much. I'm now within, what, was it five, six days at the end of the month? And we will get it done. I will have run by the time the end, this month is over, over 160 miles in one month. That's okay. That's not great. But it's okay. But it's 160 miles that if I was going about it the other way, I'd be sitting on my chair, dear God, you know I've been faithful. And you know that I just love to get out there and run. And if you can just see it, no, it's not going to change that way. I'd have zero miles down on that. Run. Do whatever it is that you want to do, whatever it is that you want to get to, get it. Go after it. Speak to it. How does the word tell you to overcome it? How does the word tell you to do this thing? You need to find out what the word says. Too often, folks, we are falling prey and doing it the way David did, and we are imitating the world. 
we're imitating the world. We're doing what the world said to do. We're getting carts and we're putting the ark of God on a brand new cart. And we're having songs and praise music. And they're probably praising and dancing all around the thing. And they're probably doing all kinds of stuff. God must be pleased. Look at this. We've got all the musicians out here. We've got all the praise and worship going on out here. We've got all the people out here. Oh, God's got to be liking this. Oh, God's got to be liking this. And God said, that's a cart. That's a cart. Anywhere in the Word of God that Jesus, or the, the, anywhere in the Word of God that the people were exhorted to have praise and worship music playing when they moved the ark. No. Not in there. Anything about sacrifices while they're moving the ark? No. Anything about dancing when they're moving the ark? You know what it says about moving the ark? You will put it on poles. And the priest of the Lord will carry it from one place to another. We well, might be thinking, carry it? Who carries things anymore? You put it on a cart. We've got carts now. We've got good carts. Put it on a cart. Send it on its way. Now, here's a, here's a fun little thing. What would have happened if nothing caused the ark to fall off the cart? What would have happened? They would have made it, right? And they would have set up a whole new thing. Move the ark with a cart. And if you're one of the priests, you say, boy, I don't have to carry that ark anymore. Oh, this is good. Have you ever carried something up on your shoulder for a long period of time? You know, it wears down your shoulder. Your arm gets tired. Oh, we don't have to do that anymore. And you just look at that thing being on the cart. Glory to God. <laughs> Thank God for carts. Carts are so good. Put this thing on the cart. Let the cart go on. Oh, this is so much better. And because you had success maybe in a time or two, we begin to think this is the way to get it done. And you know what, folks? It is not the way to get it done. How do you do a thing? The way the Word says. How does the Word say it? Whatsoever things you ask when you pray, believe that you have received them and you shall have them. There are some things we are to ask God for in prayer. There are other things that we are not to ask God for in prayer. We are to realize they are ours. And God has given them to us. Is healing one of those things? We never have to ask God for healing because God has given it to us. He's given it to us. It's ours. Work of Jesus. It's ours. It is for us. But you see, we fall into the notion of the, uh, of the older son in the parable. When, remember, we looked at this not too long ago. The, two, the, the one son, the younger son, comes to the father and says, Father, give me my inheritance. And so the, the father gave the younger son his inheritance, but is that all he did? Who else got the inheritance? The older son. He took his inheritance and he split it between the older son and the younger son. So the younger son had his inheritance and the older son had his. And yet at the end of the story, and this is the story Jesus made up and told. The end of the story, the older son wouldn't come in the house. because he, And he says to the father, when the father comes out to talk to him, he says, why are you out here? We're in there partying. Come on out inside and have a party. Enjoy the food. I'm not going in there. 
He says, how long have I worked for you? How long have I served you? You never gave me a fatted calf. You never put a robe on me. You never put a ring on my finger. Whose robes were they? Whose rings are they? His. Whose fatted calves are they? The, the older sons. They are his. The father, if you had any doubt about it, the father even comes back and he says, Son, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. See, we're, we're too often like the older son. We're looking at all the work we put in, all the time we put in, all the faithfulness we put in. You never gave me. God says it's yours. It's yours. Go take it. Go take it. Go and take it. Go and have it. Here it is. Go. And what are we doing? Never gave me one. Out there in the field every day working hard. You know what I'm going to do tomorrow? I'm going to stay home. I'm not working in your field. Think about this. When he works in the field, who gets the yield? Does the father get the yield? The son does. <laughs> so he's going to stop working in the field. He's not going to get the yield. Who gets affected? The son. <sighs> Folks, do we not read the word about do we not do we not read the Bible? Do we not remember the Bible? Why is it we keep altering things? Why is it we keep changing these things? Don't be changing it. What does the Word of God say? If it's yours, take advantage of it. Use it. Peter and James came to the beautiful gate. And they saw the man, the lame man, laying there. And he was saying, alms, 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 alms. Now, when you get into that kind of a mode and you are a person who's asking alms at the gate, you just kind of wave in the, the thing, hoping somebody will come along, put something in. But, you know, most people are going to do what? They're going to walk you right by. So most people are going by. I'm just waving out here. Maybe one or two. Eventually, you'll stop. And alms, alms. You're not looking at every person. Hope. No. Oh, no. This one. Oh, no. This one. You're not doing that wear you out. That would wear you out, wouldn't it? So he's in a mode where he is supposedly in a receiving mode. But he's not ready to receive, is he? He's not. He's just kind of in general. This is how a lot of times Christians are. We're just in general receiving. Alms. Alms. God help me. Look on my situation. Look how much pain I'm in. Look how much sadness I have. Oh, God. You have so much. Just alms. Just a little bit. Just, and if we hear a clink in the cup. <gasps> right? <gasps> I got something. <laughs> I, I think God sent something to me. We get all excited. I think it is. Is that faith to receive? No. We're, we're not. That's where most Christians are. We need to get out of that mode. But Peter stops me. He says, look at me for a minute. He says, look on us. But you get the idea. Look at me for a minute. So he stops what he's doing. Alms. Alms. Stops what he's doing. And he looks. 
He looks at Peter. And the Word of God says something very unique about it. He says, he looked at Peter expecting to receive something. That's what it says. He looked at him and said, he expected to receive something. Hmm. I'm going to get something. This guy, he didn't just pass me by. He's going to give me something. What do you think he wants? Money. Right? He wants money. So you want money. Peter stops and says, look on us. Looks at him. Silver and gold I don't have. In other words, I don't have any money. I want money. I don't have any money. No money. What am I wasting my time for? Let's go back alms. 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 Let's go back into that mode. Maybe get something. Silver and gold I don't have. But what God will give me. No, he didn't say that, did he? No, no, no. Silver and gold I don't have, but what I hope to receive. No, he didn't say that either. Silver and gold I don't have, but what John has. Silver and gold I don't have, but what Jesus has. What's he say? Silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I give you. Who's got it? Peter has it. All right, now, what does Peter have? What does he have? He can only give him what he has. Pull that up on, the, on there. Was it Acts chapter 3? Acts chapter, Acts chapter 3, I think it is. Pull that up for us. Let's just look at it. I don't got it. I don't got silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. We've said this before when we've gone over it. You cannot give... What you do not have, unless you're the government. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but you and I, we can't give what we don't have. We've got to have it. If you're the government, you give away what we don't have all the time. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. If you have a thing, whose jurisdiction is it under? Whose? If I were to go up to someone and say, here is a $20 bill, it's yours. And they decide, you know, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with this. I think I'm going to go out and have some lunch. And they come up to me and they say, that $20 bill you gave me, is it okay if I go out and have some lunch with it? What would I say? It's yours. It's yours. Whatever you want to do. If you want to go have lunch, go have lunch. If you want to buy gas for your car, buy gas for your car. If you want to buy shirt, go and buy shirt. Whatever you want to do, it's yours. I don't have to, we don't have to come clear that with them. It's, it's, it's ours. All right, let's think of a better, better situation. How many of you get paid on Friday? I mean, you just got paid on Friday. Whatever day you got paid, got paycheck, put it in the bank, and um, you're going to pay your electric and your water bill out of that money that you got. Do you go to your employer and say, appreciate the paycheck you gave me on Friday. I just wanted to check with you. Is it okay if I pay my water bill? 
my electric bill out of that? What's your employer going to say? It's it's your money. You can do whatever you want to. Yeah, I know, but it came from you. And it came from you. I, I, I just, I feel like I need to check on this with you. You pay whatever you want to. If you want to pay your electric bill and your water bill, go ahead. Have fun. All right, we're going to do that. And the next Friday comes up and you get another paycheck and you go into the boss again and say, I need to pay my rent this, this weekend. Is it okay if I take the paycheck that you gave me and pay my rent? Now we got history with this guy. <laughs> thinking, last week is the other bills. This week is the, is the rent. I'm not sure what this one's trying to do here. Um, look, if you want to pay your rent, go ahead, pay your rent. Need a place to stay? Pay your rent. Now he's got, he's, we got a history now with this one. And the next week comes, Friday paycheck comes. Secretary buzzes. Steve's here to see you. Tell him I'm busy. Right? I don't want to hear about I don't want to hear what about what bills he wants to pay, what he needs to do with it. Tell him it's his money. You do what he wants to with it. If I'm walking down the hall and the boss happens to see me, oh no. He's gonna turn around and go the other way. Why? Because you are involving me in something that I do not need to be involved with. Folks, we are involving God with stuff that we don't need to do it. What, what God has given you, if, he's gave it, if He gave it to you, why is He giving it to you? Because He trusts you. He wants you to put it to work. He wants you to put it to work. If you were to come into work one day and say, I have no place to stay. I couldn't take a shower. I couldn't change my clothes. I barely made it in here on the gas I had to tank. What's your boss going to be saying? But why? I mean, you make good money here. You got, I've been paying you every, every week. Why is it that you don't have these things? Well, I know that you've been paying me and I've been putting it in the bank each, each week. But I just wasn't sure that you wanted me to use it for those things. But yet, how many times has God given us things to use? And what are we doing with them? Nothing. Nothing. How often does it come across us that we have healing in us? And we can pray over people that are around us. How often does that come into mind? How often does it come into mind that we have the words of life on the inside of us and we can share those words of life with the people that are around us to bring them into the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ? We don't do it. We don't do it. We let the world come in and begin to dictate things that we do we ought not to do that we have that up on the the screen again silver and gold I do not have but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk does Peter have walking as a gift from God no what's he got healing power when Jesus and the woman with the issue of blood came into contact Jesus said, someone touched me. Oh, everybody touched you. And Jesus said, no, no, no. Someone touched me and something left his body. Anybody remember what it was? Healing power went out from me. In order for healing power to go out from Jesus, where must it be? In him. 
So what is in Peter? Healing power. What is in you? Healing power. Such as I have, I give you. Such as I have, I give you. If you have healing power on the inside and can heal others, shouldn't it work on you? I think it should, shouldn't it? It should work on you. Healing power is in you. You ought to just go around, wake up in the morning, look at yourself in the mirror and say, healing power is in me. Power for salvation is in me. Faith to believe is in me. In me. In me. I heard someone say some time ago, we're listening to something. You only have as much faith as you have patience. Faith and patience inherit the promises. Hebrews tells us. Through faith and patience, inherit the promises. If you have faith in you because God gave you faith, what what about patience? I have no... How many times we walked around, I have no patience. I have no patience. You might as well just say, I have no faith. Because if you have no patience, you have no faith. You ought to go around saying, "I I have faith. I have faith. I have faith. If you have faith, what else do you have? Patience. I don't have any patience. Faith and patience inherit the promises. Through faith we are saved. Are you not being patient? Are you in heaven yet? Have you received your immortal bodies? Have you been walking through your mansion? Are you looking forward to it? But you are in patience waiting for it, aren't you? If you have patience for salvation, you've got patience for anything else you want. You've got to put it to work. You've got patience. How many of you have the love of God on the inside of you? How do you know that? Because the Word of God says, He has shed abroad in our hearts the love of God. He's put it in your heart. God has put the love of God in your heart. I can't love that person. Why? Do you not have the love of God in you? I do have the love of God. Is the love of God not capable of doing that? Love of God is capable of doing it. What do you have on the inside of you? I have the love of God. And therefore you can love even that one. Glory to God. Stop seeing stuff as impossible. Stop letting the world's way infiltrate how you do things. Stop using a cart when you're supposed to use a pole. We're not going to get very far in this today, are we? Where do we leave off here in Samuel? Verse 6. When they came to Nahon's threshing floor, Uzziah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. They stumbled enough that the thing was falling off. So he decided, let's not have the ark of God fall off and on the ground. And he put his hand out and he studied it. Was it Uzzah's decision to put the ark on a cart? Was it his decision to use the oxen? He just, by the cart. Why is Uzzah there? Think about it this way. If you go back into the time when they were wandering around the wilderness, how many people did they have around the priest who were carrying the ark? How many people did they have to catch the ark if it would fall? How many ark catchers did they have? 
There are no ark catchers in the, in the Old Testament, are there? None, no ark catchers ever. This is the first ark catcher we ever have. First one. There's two of them. First one, we never had an ark catcher before. The uh, Philistines, they didn't use an ark catcher. They just put it on the cart. No people. And it made the trip just fine. Now it's making the trip. It's got people. It's got ark catchers. What's the Word of God say happens if you touch the ark? You die. You die. How many ever saw Raiders of the Lost Ark? It's a good movie. Well, that came out when I was at Ramah. And uh, one of the professors came on out there and he was talking about it. He says, how many of y'all want to see Raiders of the Lost Ark? Hardly anybody raised their hand. He says, all right, how many of you are, want to see it but are not willing to admit it? <laughs> I went out and saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. I've seen it a couple of times since then. And he brought our attention to when they opened up the ark. And he says, I don't know this for a fact, but I think if the presence of God ever came around people like that, that's exactly what would happen to them. They would just melt. In the presence. So every time I see that, every single time I see that movie, I think back at that class and what that professor said. They just would melt around. And they did. It was a gross scene, if you don't like those kind of things in movies. Because they melted. I mean, they just, uh, they just, they just melted. It's, that's it. So uh, he doesn't melt. He does not melt. Uzzah does not. But he put his hand out to steady the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error. And he died there by the ark of God. Whose error was it? Whose error was this? David's. Right? David is the one who put the order. The priest would have put it on the poles. But David said, put it on a cart. The priest should have stood up and said, the word of God says poles. They didn't do it. So they're, they're at fault too. The Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah. Why? He didn't do anything. All he's trying to do is help the situation. All he's trying to do is to, to study it. He's just trying to, to study it. Just trying to, to make it right. Folks, we wonder, why does God not answer my requests when he sees my heart? He sees how genuine I am. He sees how much I need the thing. Even though I'm not doing what the Word of God said I should do. How do you access the promises of God? Through faith. You see, we always, we, we want God to say, but God, look, I'm, I'm doing what I think I should do with all my heart. And God says, I don't care, it's wrong. It's wrong. The TV is filled with people doing stupid things. And paying the price. How many of y'all like to watch Funniest Home Videos? There's that other one that they have. On the, uh, the kids have had on it a couple of times. and they, I mean, that one, they're doing a lot more dangerous stuff. And they look like they're getting seriously hurt. I don't know if they did or not, but whatever the show was. They, what is it called? The Ridiculousness. I have not seen the, the a whole show of that, but I've seen parts of it. And it's like, oh, you, you cringe. Really, people? What are you thinking? What are you thinking? I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. What are you thinking? Folks, what are we thinking? We are asking God to come through for us, but I don't want to take the time to read his word. Why, why is God's anger at Uzzah? 
just because David missed it, just because the priest missed it, just because all the other people ahead of him missed it, does that mean that he should miss it? What's the word of God tell Uzzah? Do not touch the ark. He should know that, shouldn't he? Just because people above you miss God does not mean that you are excused from obeying God. You need to know what the Word of God says and obey. Do what He says to do. Look at verse 8. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. You ever gotten mad at God? And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. <laughs> David became angry. Then it says, David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? Folks, we have been angry. We have become afraid of our God because we have not done the things that the Word of God says to do and we blame Him for it. Quit blaming God. Quit being in pride. Humble yourself and do what the Word of God says to do. Receive correction. If what you did messed up, go to God and say, God, that didn't work. I know that you're not wrong. I was obviously wrong. What do we need to do? Need to do something. So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David. I didn't fill out your blanks here for you. The unknown with the things of God can bring fear, anger, inaction, and or defective belief. The unknown with the things of God can bring fear, anger, inaction, and defective belief. You've got a defective belief. A lot of people will act on it and it's not going to bring about anything. They will keep you from receiving what you need or ask for from God. So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Oded, Obed-Edom. The Gittite, the ark of God remained in the house of Obed-Edom. The Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom. Edom, and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. He said, man, they're getting blessed. I want that blessing. It's supposed to be mine. It's supposed to be here. There he goes. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces and he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. How do you bear the ark of God? You put it on poles. Does the Word of God ever tell us that he corrected, he went to the Word of God? Does the Word of God ever tell us he went to the priest? But he obviously went somewhere. He took his misguided behavior, compared it to the Word of God, and he changed. He altered his behavior. He lined his behavior up. They had sacrifice, they had dancing, they were shouting, music is playing, all these things are going on. But in the end, the ark was moved because they did it right. Is it done, was it because of the sacrifices? No. Is it because of the music? Is it because of David's dancing? No. It is because they did it the way the word said. And the ark of God came to them. We're not going to get to the rest of the stories, obviously. So we're obviously not going to answer the question about Asa just yet. I did put it up in question there. Will we get there today? I, went, I didn't think we wouldn't finish all these things. I, we kind of just got off on some stuff on that. But here's the thing. How much of the world has gotten into your life? How much are your prayers affected by the attitudes of the world and the expectations 
of heathens instead of what God says. When correction comes from the Word of God, from listening to the Word, will you receive it or do you resist it? Now, how many times have we ever said, we looked at the Word of God and we saw that Jesus taught His disciples that He would be arrested, beaten, killed, crucified, buried, and on the third day He would rise up. A bunch of times Jesus taught on that. And yet we all pick on them because when Jesus was arrested, tortured, beaten, killed, crucified, put in a tomb, and he was raised up, that they didn't believe it. They didn't receive. They did not receive that teaching. They did not receive that. We have sat under the word of God and have heard what to do with faith, what to do with prayer, what to do with healing, what to do with these things, and we still do it the old way. And we get angry at God. We get frustrated at God because it's not working in our life. If it's not working in your life, you are the problem. I am not, you prideful person. That's a sign right there. Prideful person. You are the problem. In this story, it's not mentioned, but can you see it? David realized I was the problem. He goes back to the word. He corrects what they did wrong. He adds other stuff to it, but he corrects what they did wrong. We'll show why that's important next week. What they, what they needed to do. Take this for this one. What are you doing in your life does not line up with the Word of God? You're getting angry. You're getting frustrated because it's not working out the way that God says it ought to be working out. The way His Word promised you. You need to go back to the Word of God. You need to let the Spirit of God speak to you. How David got this correction? I don't know if he read one to the Word of God himself. I don't know if he got a hold of a priest. I don't know where he went and got it. But whatever it was, he got what he needed, he made the correction, and he went on. Guys, I was wrong. I did that the wrong way. It was my fault. Let's do it this way now. And I did it that way, and it worked. It worked. The Word of God will work for you if you do it the way that he says. Has the Word worked its way in to our way of believing? You have to answer that question yourself. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. In your word, in your word, you've given us all the instruction that we need to correct, to change our life, to get ourselves lined up with what you want to do. We need to be humble and receive that correction and make the changes we need. We thank you for the help that you give us to do it. You speak to us in our spirit. You speak to us through your word. You speak to us through teachers and prophets. And Father, whatever way it comes, we need to hear it, we need to listen, and we need to change. I give you the praise and the glory for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, glory to God. If you've got a few more minutes here, we have some praise reports. God has been working this week in the lives of people. We want to hear what it is that they, they got going on. Here, she said, I was in the ladies' fellowship and was telling them about the migraines that she's been getting and how they were trying to come back. She said, Connie started, start, said to me to start taking authority over them um, the night before. And 
that is what she did. And so this morning when she woke up, she said she felt like they were trying to come back. And she says, nope, I'm not going to take it this morning. And in Jesus' name it has to go. And it did. <laughs> so praise God. Uh, Phyllis has another one. She said, I went to bed feeling lousy and sick, but after being reminded in ladies' breakfast to take authority over my body, I did. She said, I fell asleep and woke up feeling great today. Guess what we talked about in Women's Fellowship yesterday? <laughs> um, Ray said, now, Ray, I'm not sure that I can read this one word here, so I'm going to do my best. He says, I was getting despondent over some financial challenges this month. Things happened that brought hope and potential relief. Um, then I was... I was I was thankful because I didn't go to God in the first place. Is that what you said? Oh, you cringed. Okay. <laughs> okay, but God's good anyway, and he learned his lesson. <laughs> A word my wife didn't know? No. I didn't know that word. Okay. Susan says, I'm thanking the Lord that I still have my mom and a godly woman and a prayer warrior that she is. Praise God. We got to celebrate Anna's birthday yesterday, and um, we have some extra cake for after service today, too. Uh, Anna says, I praise God for all of you for making my day a memorable one. I thank God for all the years he has blessed me with and um, <clears throat> being faithful to me through all of it. I love you all, church family. Thank you. So, and that's it. Any others? I, you know, I, I want to give another kudos for Facebook because it's really been a, a way that I get to minister to people that I don't know. And uh, like Pastor started out the service talking about our conversation, um, this person put up on, and she's a Christian um, singer. I don't know her, but she's a Christian singer. And so she had this big blog, and she said how she just, she grew up in church and everything, and she says, you know, I just don't believe that the God that I serve would... Um, uh, would not let anybody love whoever they want to. So she's all for this, you know, gay and lesbian thing. You know, she says, that's just my belief, and, you know, we're all entitled to our beliefs. And then she went on to this long, big thing, and I'm like, I couldn't get off of that one statement. I said, no, as a Christian, we're not entitled to our own beliefs. We believe the word, period. So, I, you know, I put that up there, and this, this kid comes back with, you know, well, what about our own free will? I said, well... You have your own free will to either obey or not obey. You know, that's just it. But like Pastor's talking about, the world and, and the way of thinking has so crept into the church and, um, and the teachings that are there. And, you know, the question was raised by a pastor who was answering some of this stuff was, you know, well, how is it that somebody raised in a church could even have this thought, this idea that you can just love whoever you want? And the bottom line is they don't search the word. They don't know the word. You know, if you know the word, you'll know the truth. So, you know, I'm thankful. This is my praise report. I'm thankful that we have a church. I shared this at the fellowship yesterday, too, and I put it up on Facebook. I don't know how many of you saw that. But I am thankful that we have a church of people who love the entire word. You know, we don't pick and choose. We love the word, no matter what it says. And, you know, we're not perfect, but we're all trying to apply it to our lives. And yesterday... I'm coming, sweetie. Yesterday, I asked the ladies to um, try and find some ways to, to celebrate our, our lives with each other throughout the week. You know, if God's given you something, um, answered a prayer or given you a word or something, just a scripture that you read meant something to you, call somebody and encourage them with that. You know, and just continue to celebrate these things with one another. Um, 
But that's my thing. Can I have that now?